Good evening, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael. Today is the 12th of the 7. It's another glorious day as the silence is now broken and you can hear our warm, sultry voices. Michael, how have you been? Warm and sultry. That's good to hear. That's what we expect on this programme. Yeah. But there are other programmes, Michael. Lesser programmes. We might say that. I mean, popularity and the general media would say they're in fact greatly superior to us and vastly more popular but we can say they're lesser programs you know gary i think it's a very base coin isn't it popularity we could all chase popularity easily enough but payment and monetary reward societal approval and approbation friends new shoes yeah we could do that but we're about the truth that's what we're into we're about we're about the work well not the work, maybe, but the truth, certainly. I don't know if you heard the recent interview with uh, Kevin Myers that went up. Gareth Soy did it. If uh, the listener hasn't heard it, it's on the Borderline podcast. It's with Kevin uh, Myers. He has some thoughts on Irish media. Yeah, some... Uh... <laughs> he has a couple of thoughts. Yeah, some, I would say, distinct lack of punch-pulling there on Kevin's behalf. Yeah, yeah. The, the amount of anger he's managed to retain <laughs> over the years is... is... And there were some there were some great comments he made about the Irish media that he made before or after the podcast that I couldn't use because he was he was chatting to Gareth, but they were they were fantastic, pungent. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Myers curses a lot more than I thought he did. <laughs> well, you have to remember he was a war correspondent. Print that's his real thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a point where he's talking about how he found hand to hand combat in Bosnia. Being a war correspondent in Yugoslavia and in the north of Ireland, uh, you're dealing with soldiers. You're going to pick up some of the saltier linguistic tics of the military man, I imagine. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a macho thing, isn't it, being the war correspondent? But his his line in it when uh, Gareth was asking him what he thought about media was, I, I think media should just tell the fucking truth. <laughs> That's all I want from media, just tell the fucking truth. And it shouldn't be this difficult. But on truth telling on uh, a forensic grilling of a man to get to the truth. Mac Cooper and Peter Thatchell. Now, I don't want to talk about the O'Gorman or Thatchell thing because I have a piece coming on that during the week, which is... A piece A little, a short meditation. It's it's about... When it's finished, it's going to be about 7,000 words. Gary, when it's finished, it will be serialised like a Dickens novel. It is, it is my war and peace. <laughs> uh, it has been referred to amongst the editorial team of Gript as my magnum opus. But I, uh, I was asked to look into Peter Thatchell's past and whether there was any currency to um, questions about his past. And that became, that became its own thing, I think. So I don't want to go into that and I don't want to talk about the O'Gorman thing. Um, but I do want to talk about this because this is only tangentially related. Matt Cooper had Peter Thatchell on. So that in case you have somehow missed this, just to give you the outline, Peter Thatchell was seen with Roderick O'Gorman, the Minister for Children. Peter Thatchell has said some questionable things about um, child-adult sexual relations, let us say. And so people started asking the Minister if he, had any, if he knew O'Gorman and what he thought about O'Gorman. And this, it spiralled into a ridiculous thing. Matt Cooper brought Peter Thatchell on 
to clear the air and to explain his own views. It is, if the purpose of an interview is to find the truth of a matter, rather than act as a PR exercise for someone else, it is one of the worst interviews ever conducted. I think would be the fair and balanced way to describe it. Well, you know the way very often people describe an interview as like a tennis match where people, you 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 lob them, you try, you smash the ball, is the ideas ping across the net in this kind of adversarial way. If we were to use the tennis analogy, I think this would be much like, imagine you have a father with, say, a five-year-old child, and this is the first time he's picked up a tennis racket. Imagine the kind of, lo- the kind of strokes or balls that you would, you would give the child. It was a little bit like that. There were very few, shall we say, hard-driven ground strokes to try and pierce the defensive armour of Mr. Thatcher. I don't think at any stage in the interview could you say he seemed to be under pressure or under stress. They very quickly dealt with the important issue where Peter Thatcher said he did not approve of children and adults having sex. He said he had never approved of it. He quoted from the letter that people have been focused on as proof that he does approve of it. Doesn't he... approve of it. Sorry, doesn't approve of it. Uh, well, no, people are saying from the letter that he does approve of it. And he's explaining that, no, that was that was incorrect. He doesn't. And then they talk about the real issue in uh, here, Michael. Yes, in, absolutely. Uh, what this tells us about homophobia in society rank what I, what, rank homophobia what i will say about that is that and this is afterwards mac cooper came in for a great deal of criticism online both from the usual suspects and from people who just seem to be listeners of his show who thought that the tone of the interview was um not sufficient for someone accused of the things that peter thatchell is accused of Mm-hmm. And Matt Cooper said he had done his research and, you know, he, he'd got the answer and he was, um, you know, he thought that Thatcher had given him the honest view and the matter was closed. And then he sent a couple of other messages that seemed like he was taking glee in how much the interview had annoyed people. What I will say on that, Thatcher in the interview incorrectly quotes the letter that he is, that is the centerpiece of all this. Matt Cooper, having done the research, would know what the letter actually says. This a non-zero chance he had the letter directly in front of him when he was talking to Thatchell. And he let Thatchell do that. And he didn't stop him. Mm-hmm. So Matt Cooper let Thatchell at the very best misrepresent what was in that letter and at the worst lie to his listenership. Knowingly. And Cooper did nothing to stop it. Yeah. No, he'll have his own opinions about that. Well, there's, a, there's what the letter said. And there's what Thatchell said. Well, no, I, I, I did I'm the not, research. No, I'm not disputing that. They're not the same that. thing. I'm not disputing that your characterization of the of that. I think his opinion of how he, he should manif- he should manage his interview. Matt will obviously have his own opinions, but I, the comedy really begins with the Irish Times. Yeah, no, the Irish the the Irish Times is where they really start taking the piss with this, and. The issue here we, we've seen is that the response to this situation from media in general has been to claim that anyone raising questions about this is part of a far-right fringe who are raising this because they want to destroy a gay man. So it's far-right, it's homophobic, and it's insane. 
And I think a lot of the stuff that's been said, particularly about O'Gorman, is nonsense. Is is just spurious nonsense. But that show. Sorry, just to be clear, just for clarity, there, Gary. Just you were saying a lot of the stuff that a lot of the criticisms and allegations levelled at him from the usual suspects on the right are oh, just yeah, spurious the, nonsense. But the the base question there, yes, I think is worth answering. And the fact that O'Gorman didn't answer it for more than a working week is, I think, noteworthy. But media has has come behind this in a large way and. They are taking pretty much a uniform view on this, that it is homophobic to ask these questions. And so in that vein, the Irish Times reviewed Matt Cooper's interview with Peter Thatchell. And the the headline is, mild-mannered he may be, but Matt Cooper will go 10 rounds with anyone. Last word presenter goes toe-to-toe to get facts straight with Peter Thatchell. And the entire thing is about how Matt Cooper doesn't shy away from a fight, and how he is um, courageous to have Thatchell on when Thatchell is accused of such things. And it just keeps going. Cooper is calm and serious, but forensic in detail. And Forensic? All in all, oh, Cooper's kid, forensic examination dispels any doubt that O'Gorman was the victim of a smear. When it comes to getting the facts right, Cooper will go toe-to-toe with anyone. Now that is grade A horseshit. Regardless of what you think about the O'Gorman situation or the Thatchell situation, that is not what that interview was. Oh, I'm I'm minded of a phrase that my sister used to use many years ago, a lovely image, puke in a cup and let it set. I mean, that's nauseating. I don't, I don't, this, this was written by McHaney. I don't believe McHaney believes that about the interview. Well, that's the thing. It's so over the top and so, frankly, mischaracterizing the the nature of the interview. Is it is it some kind of weird subtweeting of the interview? Is it a is it a hidden sarcastic dig at Cooper, pretending to be one thing but actually being I mean, something if, else? If it is, he's really gone into it. I mean, this is what he says about Thatchell's letter. In the letter, Thatchell said he knew people who'd made a conscious choice when aged 13 and under to have sex with adults. That is in the letter, yes. It is not, I would say, the point of the letter that people are actually uh, taking out and saying this is the issue. But that is in the letter. So I I think... I don't know. if this, If this is an attempt to some sort of satirical review... They have really, really dedicated themselves. They've committed to the bit, but I'm being probably ridiculously charitable in that kind. Of, in even posing the question, it is. I'm not sure what it pretends to be. I can see the political point here. People, there are lots of people on Thatchell's side who think it is deeply unfair that he's being questioned. But I would have thought, like you, I can tell when someone on my side gets an incredibly easy interview. It is obvious to me. But this is one of the easiest interviews I've ever seen. And either the Irish Times are totally blind or they're lying. Because no no competent person could have looked at that interview and went, well, this, you know, this is a, this is a forensic examination. Derives from a question that was asked to the new minister for children. 
the question was a perfectly legitimate question to ask. It was not a, and which I suspect the new minister was actually in a position to deal with honestly and forthrightly on the first occasion it was asked. And had he done so, I think the thing would have died. But for some reason, this gap was left. As for, I don't know why it should be unfair that Peter Thatcher should be. Peter Thatcher has been a very prominent and controversial figure for 40-odd years in uh, politics in Britain. He's more than used to being questioned. He's more than used to being challenged. He's very well used to questioning and challenging other people. And that's grand. That's fine. If this is your business, you're going to be questioned. It's perfectly reasonable. Of course you're going to be questioned. You're going to be interrogated and you're going to defend your positions. And Peter Thatcher is a very fluent, capable man when it comes to dealing with these kinds of questions. I don't see that there's any, how there could be any problem or any issue with that. But it's all been phrased, and in, in it's all been framed in this uh, context of that actually it's just reflective of a deep homophobia in society, and that narrative has not been dispelled by the action of some of the usual suspects, shall we say, Gary? But the actual basic, simple question itself was a perfectly reasonable one. I think it was was it you or John or John McGurk was saying? Well, it was in exactly the same context of saying. When when people were asking questions about the, the oddness of uh, somebody from a landlocked county being made minister for the Mariner, somebody who had never gone, never finished college, being made uh, minister for higher education, it was a a reasonable political point to make, a reasonable question to ask, put out there. It's not a big thing, but I mean, I, also I think the the people who moved quickly to claim that this was homophobic, I don't think that was a good strategic move either. Because before, the question was about two men who are both gay, yes, and the photo of them was at a Pride march. But the question was about Peter Thatchell's views more widely and Roderick O'Gorman as the Minister for Children. It was not really related to their sexuality at all, which was for the best, considering the wider subject is pedophilia and um, views on children. And then the defence of Roderick O'Gorman, by linking it very strongly to his homosexuality, I think, is now in a position where if Thatchell's reputation is damaged or if Roderick's reputation is damaged, it reflects because they've made it an identity issue. Yeah, and you know... It's not a great idea. It's a really really bad idea because let's... Anybody who's aware of this issue knows that gay men have struggled and ultimately fairly successfully to decouple paedophilia and homosexuality this was a standard how would I, a standard slur for a long long time that there was some kind of intimate connection between homosexuality and paedophilia at least in in certain circles of the community it took a long time to break that down in the public mind so that the and to get rid of that kind of that negative association and to link it in i don't know i i it's it's clumsy at, at the very best you say it's clumsy and it's cack handed and it was it was a reflexive picking up of a particular identity weapon which had of a kind which they have become so used to using in these contexts that they didn't reflect on the potential that they may actually do some damage 
to the community by by doing this very thing. It's laziness, really, Gary, because this has become so constantly the response to pick up some element of the identity issue, whatever group you happen to be, and frame it in the context of yet again, we are being the victim of X, Y, or Z oppressor because of whatever identity we happen to be, or whatever identity group we happen to be part of. And there was no reflection that this maybe wasn't the correct tool to use to respond to this politically. No, and now, now they have a problem because Thatcher keeps doing media. And he, that means he's still in the story. And he went on Niall Boylan there. And Niall Boylan did not come out publicly and say he had done the research. But he asked questions that indicated he had done a fair amount of research on the issue. And Thatcher found that interview much harder. If I were Roderick here, I would really be wondering why the hell Thatchell is still here why that I, 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 I maybe he was away I can't imagine he was involved with the decision making the, the decision for Thatchell to do the interview with uh, Cooper in the first place I thought was a really weird one just from the politics of it because it seemed to me the story was was contained the story as regards Roderick O'Connor, Roderick O'Gorman was 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 over. This was just opening up the box again. Only maybe they felt just a little crack, but it was unnecessary. I, it was putting Thatchell in the firing line, and also, in a sense, shaving him off from the initial story, and now making him a story, and that was always going to be more problematic. Somebody as controversial as Peter Thatcher, with a career as long as his, if you're going to go through his history, even if the man is Simon Pure, when you've been talking and writing as for as long as he has, you're going to find some something which is going to bear examination. Now, it may be, we'll see from when your work comes out, it may be that there's more to it than that, but it was an odd choice to make. To become a, a separate part of the story yourself. Goes on Cooper. Then he goes on Boylan. Whatever about Cooper. Because Cooper and Thatchell have met before. I don't know if they're friendly. But there's they have met before. There's photos of them together. And they I think Thatchell has been on the show before. And considering how uh, one-sided that interview was. How much of a puff piece it was. I would imagine that was made clear to Thatchell before he agreed to do it. So that one makes a degree of sense to do because it allows you to salvage your reputation and put out your side of things with basically no counterweight. But Boylan, if he had asked anyone in Ireland what was going to happen here, they would have told him that on anything related to child abuse, Boylan is not going to give him an easy ride. Absolutely not. And he still went on. I imagine Peter Thatcher feels perfectly confident in his capacity to defend himself and his his reputation and his his track record on that, and that he 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 just he's not afraid of anybody. But again, irrespective of that age, I still say I it was an odd choice to do the the Cooper story in the first place, even though he thought even if he thought it was going to be an easy show, because when a story is over, let it die. Let it die. You know, it's like, you know, that it's a version of that. You're know, the old 
the old old cliche, take yes for an answer. Yeah, I mean, there was no chance of contagion. There was no chance of the story going over to Britain and actually harming Peter Thatcher. Yeah. It was pretty much entirely contained. He said on the Boylan interview that uh, he hadn't received really many requests for interviews or stuff from Irish media. So there's limited media attention in Ireland. I would say it was probably me, Niall Boylan and Matt Cooper. Probably the only people who had any interest in it. And um, then he just he just keeps popping up. And the Boyle in the interview is not good. Like, it's not destructive, but it's not good. You know, at the end of the day, Peter Thatchell is a figure from a different polity doing his thing. He comes over here occasionally to support his fellow Greens or whatever, and that's grand. For me, the story, again, as it always seems to be, Gary, when we're talking, is not really Thatchell. It's rather, it's the Irish media's report reporting of the story or its lack of reporting of the story. The fact is, the, story, the, the Roderick O'Gorman thing was trundling on for six, six days and it was making waves on social media. But until he made a comment, the Irish mainstream media, the press, were stum, absolutely stum on it. They didn't think that it was worth commenting on. Then you get the, the Irish Times story on the Matt Cooper interview, which really is is so over the top that it just basically, as I said, you almost wonder to yourself, is this actually a piss take? Thatchell, to me, yes, it's, it's an interesting discussion, but it's more about the, uh, yet again, the incredibly monochrome nature that is the Irish the Irish mainstream media. Yes, yeah, so you're right. They watch the story for days and they have to be aware of it. Gript publishes on it. A couple of other people are talking about it. And people are getting linked in tweets. They're getting sent stuff. So they know it's happening for the most part. But no one wants to touch it. And then when they do touch it, it's all fairly uniformly. Now, a couple of the pieces that came out about um, O'Gorman quoted parts of the letter that did not look great for Thatcher. But for the most part, it was a simple, you know, the matter is now closed. This was homophobic. And then you have, you have Cooper and then you have this. It all gives an idea of a media that is effectively non-functional as a, as a truth finding or truth representing body. Actually, sorry. On that, there was, there, uh, there was rather a piece a rather bad piece of news for Irish media uh it was yesterday or the day before Gary I don't know if you saw it but uh Susan Mitchell Susan Mitchell to government Susan Mitchell who I would rate as one of the best reporters in the country and the best journalists in the country she was in the Sunday Business Post she was reporting on health issues and during the Covid uh process and not just on Covid but on other stuff I think Susan Mitchell has been consistently uh, high quality stuff, asking questions where other people didn't realise there were questions to ask. She writes well. I I I I I think she's a very 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 fine journalist, and I think okay, uh, she's gone to the Minister for Health. Yes, Stephen Donnelly. Yeah, and I think congratulations to Stephen Donnelly. I think that's a very a very clever 
thing to do, uh, get somebody of her abilities on board. Yeah, a fantastic advisor, and you also remove one of the voices most likely to uh, find negative information about your performance. Exactly. I mean, you're going to get, a, a, as you say, a really good advisor. You're really, you're taking one of the most dangerous uh, artillery sets out of the battle from in front of you. So I think that was, well, listen, I'm sure that she will be much, much better paid. Oh, fantastically paid. Than she was as a journalist. And I wish her all the best and good luck to her. You know, she didn't get this, she, she's not got this job out of cronyism or uh, one hand washing the other. She's got it because she's very good at what she does and therefore good luck to her. She got it because she knows a lot about this and she's frankly dangerous. Yeah, uh, but I think it's a it's a pity. God, it's going on. It's, not, it's, it's, it's just me, but does it feel like every, every other talented journalist in Ireland in the last three years has been basically lifted out of the papers and dropped into a job in government? Fiek Kelly has gone to uh, That's right, Helen McEntee yeah, as well. Yeah, Fiek Kelly has gone. It's, uh, it is a particular feature of Ireland. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining the circumstances in which we could open our newspapers and hear that David Quinn had been appointed special advisor to someone. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would take a special advisor position. I would take they two. Pay, they pay fabulously well. They, they, they do. And I, I would be willing for them to break the, the salary cap for me if they wanted. I would take the flack. I would. Uh, I know. I think. I think a mere hundred thousand would be, would be perfectly acceptable, Michael. You think? God, yeah. No, I know. I, I, think it would. Um, it is a particular feature of Ireland that journalists who are meant to report on the government, the ones who tend to be, shall we say, best at that, tend to be totally negated by being brought into government. In a lot of countries. Media does not go into government like this. No, oh, I mean, there's, there are always, there's always a certain amount of transfer. I mean, if you look at the, the Tories there a few years ago, they they were used a couple of fairly prominent hires from the News of the World, if I remember well, mm. Labour Party, uh, writers from the Mirror, I think it was the Mirror. Alexander, what was his name? Campbell, Alistair Campbell, came from a tabloid background. So there's, but I suppose the thing is, Gary, you're talking about a much, much bigger media pool. Far more newspapers, far bigger newspapers, much bigger staff, far and also even just at the level of television, radio, whatever, you've got a, a much bigger talent pool there. So you abstract a few people from it, it doesn't really doesn't make that much different. Also, there you have a large pool of think tanks and policy units and things where people are going to come from. And you have Oxford and Cambridge and similar places like that where clever young people can be picked up for small money. Mm. But I think both myself and Gary want to go on record here and if anybody happens to be listening and they're looking for a special advisor. I mean, I can't even blame the journalists. Oh, God, no. Journalism pays like shit and it's awful in ireland it's awful most places and then someone goes to you and goes would well, you like a very nice office and a very high salary perhaps we will give you a car 
an expense. And you'll, you'll have people may actually respect you because you'll be a government advisor, as opposed to that awkward person who only turns up to be unfriendly. <laughs> and then they go, and then trust and media degrades again because it begins to look like journalists are only there to go into government. But you know what they say, Michael? No individual snowflake is to blame for the avalanche. Yeah, I'm saying that all the time, actually, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to make it a thing again. Oh, yeah, okay, well, best of luck with that. On other newspaper news, Michael, and you may not have heard this, uh, Barry Cohen. Cowan! <laughs> oh, I love it, I love oh, it. Oh, I... I, I I was I was girding myself in my mind to say it correctly. You know what you need to do. Okay, this is my piece, my advice here. When you think Cowan. of Barry, think of him with a with a Frisian cow's head. Imagine him. He when you think Barry, think cow. I'll keep the cow. Frisian eyes. cow, Cowan. That's. Get I, that I do know. Image. I do know how his name is pronounced. Yeah, but you're not remembering it. I'm giving you a trick for to remember. Association. Every time I, I see his name, I start to say it. And I think of Leonard Cohen. <laughs> Halfway through it. Every time. And I don't know why. There's no link there. But Barry Cowan is suing the Sunday Times. He's suing the Sunday Times? He's suing the Sunday Times. He says uh, that the Sunday Times published an incorrect Gather record dealing with an incident which occurred on the 18th of September 2006, despite the fact that his solicitor wrote to the newspaper in advance of publication. Um, he says he did not evade or attempt to evade uh, Agartha. He was told there was an incorrect record. He tried to take a Data Protection Act, uh, use the Data Protection Act to have it corrected. And he says that the incorrect Garda record can only have come into the possession of the newspaper through a criminal act, it is a criminal offence for a member of Ungarda Shiaconic to disclose any information obtained in the course of his or her duties. The guards have announced that they are doing an investigation into the leak as well, a criminal investigation. And uh, he says by publishing the story, the Sunday Times has consciously participated in and facilitated this. And I will be vindicating, or sorry, I will be instructing my lawyers to take all necessary steps to vindicate my good name and data protection rights. So it looks like Fianna Fáil is going on the offensive. There was a book, this is not anything to do with anything, but I, it occurs to me, a book many, many years ago written by Nancy Mitford called You and Non-You. Basically the difference between posh people and not, really posh people and not posh people. And one of the, th- the indicators was that posh people re- never refer to the their lawyer or their doctor. It's always the plural. My lawyers and my doctors. And I noticed that Barry is referring to his lawyers. There's something always much more impressive, isn't it? I've been talking to my lawyers. You have this image of he's in a room surrounded by all these people from the law library giving him sage advice. And hot, and then he can sit off and imagine what with all, what is, what's he going to do with all the money he'll get from the Times? This is actually a serious story, though. This is, I mean, at the heart of this. If that record is incorrect... The Times has a big problem. Yeah, that's the Times' problem. But rather, it's how the Times got the story, surely. That's the big, the real problem. If this actually was leaked. We had the claim there that it actually came from Thomas Byrne. That claim was made. I don't know if Byrne has commented on that. But it came from 
a finophile source who was open with his name. Now, there are a couple of questions there, but uh, may not have come from the Gardaí at all. But there's two, they're, they're two, not necessarily the same story here, is it? One, it, the, the, the claim was, that was all over social media, was that Thomas Byrne, and he has denied this, was responsible for breaking the story that uh, Barry Cowan had lost his license. But the details of the report, the Garden report, I, that that wouldn't necessarily have to be that wouldn't necessarily have to be Byrne at all, but rather that would have to be someone who could access the. I don't see how Thomas Byrne would be able to access the Garda files. That would have to surely be someone within the system, and if that were the case. That would be a far more serious thing because, well, we all know that people have a certain lack of trust anyway with the capacity of people within systems, whether it's in banks or in the civil service or the Gardaí or whatever, to access information on them which is supposed to be protected. And these things are protected and we, we will, we'll, we'll see as it develops. If uh, I, I think they, they, they may also have the issue that he says that his solicitors wrote to the newspaper in advance of publication. And if Cow, if if Cowan is saying that the the record is false, yeah, and the Sunday Times was informed the record was false, and they published it anyway, that's uh, that's not going to be a great time. No, that would amp- that amp- if it, that would amplify the defamation, if you like. Also, my understanding is that I mean this would probably have to be pulled from the Pulse system. My understanding is that the Pulse system logs every person who makes a request of it. Logs every keystroke. Which you find out pretty quickly if you start asking uh, guards about the technical capabilities of the Pulse system and if you can find information on people. Yeah, and they say no. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, of course they say no. Uh, um, and, and we're glad that they do. Absolutely. It's important that the institution not give information to people who ask for it in this way, in this improper channel. Yes, quite right. Ever ever leaking i mean if it was a re whatever about if they had this for a while and they just held on to it and then they just opportunistically let it out because he was appointed minister if someone recently went onto the pulse system pulled information on a minister and gave it to the newspapers that is very stupid of them Mm. stupid malicious lots of things bad Criminal, I would imagine. Mm, pro- well, definitely criminal. I did well. Actually, I. I did see a couple of journalists say that there was no criminal prohibition on the passing of information to journalists by guards, but my understanding is is anything that is that they pick up during their duties, any of that information, it is actually a criminal offence to pass that on. It's an offence for the guard. It's not necessarily a pres- an offence for the journal to. Pres- the journalist possesses. I'm not sure about that either. Publication of that information may be considered a criminal act. I don't know. I know nothing about this area. But it would be very easy to write a law that made that the case. Uh, I don't know if it would be easy. I think there might be constitutional issues there. Because you might regard, you might say that there are issues surrounding freedom of press because it's precisely the kind of thing that while it, you want to protect the information that you don't necessarily want to make it into a situation where the press 
can't publish anything, which is in a government record. So it's a rare thing to sue a newspaper. Not something a politician will do lightly. Because for all, you know, journalists have the highest ethical and personal standards, they do tend to hold a bit of a grudge over suing them. (laughs) Well, they're suing the newspaper, not so much. Buy a few drinks afterwards, it'll be all right too. I did, uh, I don't know if you if you saw Alan Kelly being interviewed in the journal. He was talking about Finnefall and that um, Finnefall being back is like when you were growing up. It's like Dynasty. <laughs> yeah. But he, he his actual phrase was Finnefall are like Jesus, they're back. But the interesting thing is sequels are never really as good as the originals. Yeah, I, I don't know if Alan really got the message of Easter there. Jesus coming back is rather like it's a much less impressive story if you uh, if you don't say Jesus came back. Yeah, it kind of takes the, it, it takes a lot of the heart out of the story. Um, and I'm not sure how successful Christianity would have been, and it has been very successful historically without that bit. I I I don't even know if it's the sequel. Really, uh, I think it's an intrinsic part of the story and godfather 2 i mean a lot of people say it was better than godfather 1 so sometimes the sequel is better although i know that is the only example that anybody can ever think of when it comes to sequels right, just before we close up uh, for the day a lot of talk going around about letters there, were, there was letter in harper's speaking out against cancel culture there was a letter trying to get stephen pinker uh, the famous professor said they didn't want him sacked they just wanted him stripped of his honours yeah they wanted him stripped of his honours taken out of the National Association of uh, Linguists and basically kicked out of the kicked out of the club and made a hissing and a bite now the problem there is at at least for the time being Pinker is too big and uh, he's has too much of a profile to to bring a beast like him down. They're going to need uh, a proper smoking gun, and they and they just don't have one. They also most of the, these cancellations, not all of them, but ones of the size of Pinker, require that person to go along with it. They need to acquiesce to it. That's I think that's absolutely true, and it's a, that's a lesson that not enough people have learnt. That no, the attempt. They start a- to purge yourself, to apologise, to say, well, you know, I was... That just feeds the beast. Don't acquiesce. Look them in the eye and spit. As we've said before, use the run the jewels approach. Sorry? Now I say it, I'm not actually sure I've ever said that before. Would you like to expand on that? It comes from a... uh, Well, actually, it's a DJ Shadow song, I believe, that run the jewels appeared on called Nobody Speak, and it contains the line, uh, I'm unmentionably fresh, I'm a mensch, get correct. I will walk, it, walk into a court while it wrecks, screaming yes, I am guilty, motherfuckers, I am death. Okay, well that's lovely. Thank you I, for that. Just don't apologise, just say yeah, so what? What are you going to do about it? And oftentimes the answer is without you helping them, they can't do anything. I, I, they, I, 
they've tried their very best recently to to get after uh, J.K. Rowling. Rowling. Misunderstanding the level of comfort that having a billion pounds in the bank I, gives the person. That for their the increasing level of confusion that yeah. J.K. Rowling is still there. Yeah, they can't. They're genuinely going. Why is she still? And the level of vitriol is getting just. The thing but they that, they have they have caused her to become. She made her statement on on um, on the transgender issue, and she seemed happy to just make that statement. Yeah, and then go quiet. But then they kept attacking her, and they just kept attacking her, and they kept trying to do more and more damage to her, and then she started responding, but not to them, but just speaking out again, because the issue was still going on for her, and now she's signed on to this letter about cancel culture and. She's pointing people towards other resources from um, kind of the gender critical perspective. I think she talked about detransitioners there. Mm. And J.K. Rowling is far too powerful a cultural figure for them to pick a fight with like this. Like They've basically caused her to get involved by being so deeply unpleasant to her. The transgender lobby is, is, is actually pretty small. I mean, even in the context of ex- radical lobbies in reality, it's one of the smaller ones. But they are very, very noisy, very determined, absolutely implacable, and they tend to be pretty nasty. They're insane for the most part. And I would make the distinction between transgender activists and transgender people. Yeah, we're talking you know, activists. Many transgender people who are perfectly lovely. The activists, on the other hand, tend to be totally mad. And also tend not to agree with a lot of the view I know for most transgender people I know is largely biological determinism. And also, can we just shut up and let me get on with my life? I don't want to be the hero in your psychodrama. But they've taken this woman on. And it's, it's, there's a, there is lovely rich comedy. J.K. Rowling is an absolute card-carrying liberal progressive in everything. And she has been very careful. She's a writer and I'm sure a decent woman. Therefore, when she has talked and written about this, she's done so with great care. But she's stuck to her gun and she, no, she, she's been considered a turf. That's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist for quite some time. But in this particular case, we have seen, for example, people talk about... Uh, leaving her her literary agents because they can't be in the same agency as her or other authors talking about leaving her publishers because they uh, in protest so that their publishers will drop her (laughs) i love i love the idea of going into a publishing house and going well it's either me or harry potter yeah how many books did you sell last year well three thousand five hundred million and that was in 2017 i think 500 million copies sold worldwide uh, it, if you're if you're managed to be the publisher of the harry potter series you every morning you get up and thank your god that you are the publisher of the harry potter series and i don't know wh- who you'd have to be before they would start to get worried about them leaving these people leaving the agencies. She's not a company. It's not like, say, 
McDonald's or Starbucks or Coke or something, which could be targeted at, by a negative commercial campaign, and you could see a loss. Uh, you know, people getting worried about it and seeing the the mark, the market value going down, share values going down. She's not a company. She has a billion. I'm saying a billion. I don't know. I'm, it's probably up around a billion these days. She's in cash, like that's what she's in her bank. You know, she for all we know it could be in gold. <laughs> There's nothing they can do to her, and it really is driving them absolutely crazy. By the way, another writer that they've gone at. Well, I don't. I say they, but it has been the uh, the subject of an attack and you, you kind of wondered when it was going to happen George Orwell I mean I was I was amazed that Walt Whitman was getting it you know I thought that was pretty bad uh, they, somebody I I was told that they attacked a statue of Frederick Douglass uh, which I thought was rich now George Orwell they're going after Orwell which is basically just saying it's just like Putting the last chapter in 1984 all over again. Or Animal Farm. Because uh, he is apparent he was uh, a government snitch who spent the World War II demonising the USSR as it defeated Nazism. He was a vile man who hated... What is it? Yeah, my favourite bit is... He hated communists more than fascists. And because of this, apparently, we should he should, he should jolly well be cancelled. I mean, I would say this. If George Orwell, who was shot in the throat by fascists yeah. uh, during the Spanish Civil War, hated communists more than fascists, that might tell us a little bit about the moral worth of communism. Yeah, and I think you might also say that whatever about if it's communism with a capital C or whether it was Stalinism, I think maybe more accurately and also you know what gary i don't think that in 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 1945 it was that necessary to write satirical books attacking nazism in britain i don't think there was that lot i don't think there was a very strong underground support for national socialism in britain in 1945 however stalinism I think a lot of people were looking at Stalin, particularly after the Great Patriotic War and what had happened, uh, and the very large role that the, United, the Soviet Union played in the defeat of Hitler, there was quite a bit of sympathy for Stalinism. So, you know, maybe you write the book where it's needed most. I, I'd imagine Orwell's opinion would have been. But I may be missing the point. Maybe the, maybe they, the, we desperately needed a book about the wickedness of National Socialism in 1945. I think most people had pretty well cottoned on by then that that Hitler guy was up to something a bit no good. I mean, I would also point out when they say, when they're talking about the USSR, the USSR did kill millions upon millions of people and was deeply, deeply committed to killing Jews as well. Oh, yeah. If I mean, they just didn't like Jews. Didn't like lots of people, actually. I mean, it has been suggested, and it's not tinfoil hat stuff, that Stalin was getting ready for a pretty good, solid, old-fashioned pogrom not long before uh, 
uh, in getting ready just before he died and had he survived for a little bit longer we might have seen something pretty horrendous in Russia he'd already gone after the Jewish doctors which meant there were pretty well no decent doctors left to, allowed to practice in Moscow well that came back to him yeah it did didn't it, it did. that was that that didn't work out very well but by the way there's for the listeners if they're not aware there's a movie out at the moment which I won't recommend, but I can't remember the name of it, uh, which is about uh, a journalist going who goes and reports on the truth of the famine, uh, the Holodomor in the Soviet Union. And it, what, if nothing else, it really, really brings out uh, the baseness of Willie Durante, who was the, the New York Times uh, correspondent to the Soviet Union and basically an apologist for Stalin. Uh, Norton is the plays the role of the the reporter. Have you seen this, Gary? Are you aware of what I'm? I haven't. No, I thought you were actually when you said you were going to recommend a movie as we were talking about Stalin. I thought you were going to recommend the death of Stalin. Well, also that which is I now the history is all a little bit, shall we say, compressed. Mm. Yeah, there are things which are put together for the sake, but it is very funny. But it's not just funny. There are one. There are little moments, little, little hard nuggety jewels in it, which are really cold, and really just give you that sense of oh, I wasn't expecting that, and just that, into the barbarity of the regime. I uh, I actually it was okay. I didn't think it was fantastic. Uh, I will say I deeply enjoy their portrayal of um, Field Marshal Zukov. Yeah, Zukov. I think the two two best. The characters in it were Zukov, who was was magnificent. But I think Michael Palin, uh, who plays, who was the he was the foreign minister. Oh God, famous. His wife had been uh, purged by the Politburo previously. Oh, Gary, help me. Cannot remember. No, it was Molotov. Molotov, was, exactly. Yeah, Molotov it had to be. It's not Milenkov and it's not Beria. So no, no, it's, it's, it's not Kursky. After Molotov. whom the Molotov cocktail is next. Michael Palin, you for, because the, for the last 30 years he's done nothing but travel documentaries and very nice ones too, you forget. God, he's a fine, brilliant comic actor and he gives this absolutely fantastic, crazed performance. But also, and again... There's an authentic, authentic sense to this that he of his sincerity, that it that he actually believes he is kind of still in love with Stalin. Have you um, have you ever heard the story of the Molotov cocktail? No, the term was coined. No, I have not. It comes from the the Winter War where, when Russia invaded Finland, and found that Finland was way harder to take than they had anticipated. Um, Molotov made these broadcasts. So basically the Soviet were making, they used heavy usage of uh, cluster bombs because it was the Soviet Union and they really didn't value human life. Uh, Particularly, well, I was going to say particularly non-Soviet human life, but no, they didn't even really value Soviet life. It was about the collective. So they were using these cluster bombs and they were using incendiaries on um, Finnish civilians. And Molotov started putting out these radio broadcasts and he said that the Soviet Union was not 
was in the country not to destroy the country, but rather they were delivering food to the to the Finnish because the Finnish economy has been so badly mismanaged <laughs> by the capitalist working class that they, they had to help them. They had to give them AIDS. So um, basically they started calling bombs Molotov bread baskets. I have heard that phrase. And then, so what they started to do then is they... They started saying that um, the phrase was a drink to go with your food. Oh. And so what they started doing was they started attacking tanks with Molotov cocktails as a, a drink to go with the food. <laughs> That's Apparently a bit dark. Molotov hated it. Really? Well, yeah. He was, Molotov by, by all accounts was um, an outstanding bastard. Well, you know, the, and that's in a field where there's quite a bit of competition. Oh, like the high command of, of Stalin's time to be... Like, Churchill said he was a, a man of outstanding... What was it? Um, ruthlessness and cold-blooded intent, I believe was the phrase. And that was the that was describing Stalin's high command at a time when that was <laughs> yeah. that was a lot of competition. Um, the name of the movie I was trying to remember there was Mister Jones. So, if you want to get that, Mister Jones, uh, starring Norton, somebody Norton. I want to say Edward Norton because not Edward Norton. Is it? Is there James Norton? Is that possible? Is there somebody called? Is an actor called James Norton? Anyway, Mr. Jones is the name of the... Uh, and it's very well worth a watch. Anyway, I think it is time to... Uh, give the people their freedom. Give the people their freedom. Let them back out into the wild. God love them. It's a Sunday. They should enjoy themselves. And uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Doing something. Who knows what. Talking or interviewing or something like that so oh, we may have an interview we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes but until then mind yourselves and bye bye all the best